All right. We are continuing our look at the doctrine of reprobation. The way we're doing this is we, we kind of gave a quick or a basic definition of reprobation. We, we've already advanced this in part one a little bit. And then in part two, we backed way up. So let's just go through this. Simply put, if you were to summarize the easiest summary you can come up with, what is the doctrine of reprobation? Easiest summary you can come up with. God's sovereign decision to pass over sumption, all right, which is very much connected to the doctrine of election, and that's why we're dealing with reprobation. It's, you have to deal with this, okay? And that creates lots of problems, yes? People don't like this. It's very unpleasant. People get very bothered by it. But what if, what if I maintained for, through this entire series, and what, I've maintained this for a very long time, the, your issue with reprobation, your issue with election, your issue with foreknowledge should not begin when you get to the book of Romans. All of your problems should begin when you open that brand new Bible, right? And you smell that new Bible smell, and you go and you get past all of the introductory material, and you turn to Genesis chapter 1, and you read... Verse 1, immediately you should start having issues because verse 1 says that in the beginning God created. Well, if there is a God who created, that means he's, in, he's sovereign, that means he has power, and that means he has ability, means he has knowledge, and immediately I look at, okay, God created, I look at the world and go, something is horribly messed up here. How did it get here? So, what did we do in the first hour this morning? I told everyone to take a piece of paper, break it, to divide it into half. And on one side, I told you to write the words exclude God and the other one include God. I did not go with atheism and theism because I think that gives everyone the wrong idea. Every person, I don't care how long you've gone to church and even many people who don't, who don't even profess Christianity, there is a constant flux and going back and forth between a view of life that excludes God or a view of life that includes God. When we excluded God, right? When we excluded God, what did we write down in our paper for a, a worldview that excludes God? What did we start off with? If we exclude God, what's the source of morality, right? Well, what is the source of morality? Okay, if we include God, we have a source of morality, but it raises all kinds of problems. I don't have time to go through all of this. Everyone can go back and listen to the previous part. Okay, if we exclude God, we, we have a problem with the source of morality. If we exclude God, what else do we have an issue with? Who is sovereign? And so you either have the individual sovereign or government is sovereign. And we have the, all of the issues through history trying to work this out. Next, purpose. What's the purpose if there is no God? Next, evil. Well, do we can't even call something evil? And if evil, why does evil exist? And how do we understand it? Okay, making sure the microphone's up a little higher. All right, here we go. Next, suffering. Why is there suffering? And then if you exclude God, it's basically just chance. Now, if we include God, we have some answers for all of this, but we have all kinds of issues, right? Right? I may be able to define evil, but why does evil exist? I may understand that there's a purpose in suffering, but why would God create a world where there is suffering? There's all kinds of issues. Once you start asking all of these questions, you, start have to, you have to try to provide some kind of, let me think, state it this way. If you include God in your view of the world, you have to stop and then bring in a theological explanation for why God does what he does in the world and try to understand it. So to do that, we are backing up. I know, we're, I know we need to get to reprobation, but before we get to reprobation, I told you to grab the Westminster Confession of Faith or the London Baptist Confession of Faith and go to chapter 5 because we have to bring in what word? Providence. Providence is a theological attempt to explain wor a world where God is included. So let me say that again. Providence is a theological attempt to explain a God, a God being included in your worldview. Is that a good way of explaining it? I hope so. All right. So here we go. We are working through providence. This is, we, we stopped right here in the middle of this. We've talked about this so many times, but now this is going to fit in perfectly with everything. So what is the first thing the London Baptist Confession of Faith and the Westminster Confession of Faith says about God's providence? This is how it defines it. God, the good creator of 
all things. All right. Now, some may say great. Some say great. Some say good. Good, that's referring to God being morally possibly good. Great refers to his power, no matter how we look at it. But the bottom line is this. Immediately, when you include God in your worldview, you're saying that God created all things. Now, if you say he created all things, what's the next logical question? Well, we'll we'll work through this in a a logical progression. That's a very good question. But logically, the next question would be, okay, if God created everything, how involved is he in the creation he created? Because it's one thing to say, well, God created it, and then he just said, I'm done. Like, I created it, I'm done with it. Now, if he's done with it, then you can kind of say, well, God started it, but now I can have a, a worldview that excludes God because God has excluded himself from his creation. Does that make sense? Now, a lot of times what we do is we say God, and within Christianity, God created everything, and then when it comes to some of the things that happen within creation, we then want to exclude God from it. Providence is going to either determine how much we can or cannot exclude God from his creation. We know he created it, yes? Well, then what does the, the London Baptist and Westminster go on to say? And his infinite power and wisdom, and immediately, just immediately stop right there. This is where our problems start, right? God is a creator that has all an infinite knowledge and infinite wisdom and infinite power. Immediately, you realize where you're going to get yourself philosophically. Okay, wait a minute. Here's God. He knows everything. So that means he knows what's going to happen in his creation. So then why proceed when you know how bad it's going to become? Infinite power indicates he has the ability to do what? Intervene or change it, but he doesn't. This raises all kinds of questions, yes? But it gets even worse. Not only does he have infinite wisdom and infinite power, it begins to list a number of things. What does it say that the, the creator, what does he do in regards to his creation? Upholds it. Next. Directs it. Next. Dispose. What does that mean? What do you think? Dispose? Look up the word dispose. Look it up. I mean, if we read it, look, if you read it, you, this, this is a very good rule. If you read it, you need to understand it, okay, right? That, and that, is that deep? Is that deep right there? If you read a word and, you know, I, whenever uh, I have to read with, anytime I have to read with Landon and Liam and they read a word, I'm like, what does the word mean? And, and Liam one time said, it doesn't matter what the words mean. It just, all that matters is I can read it. <laughs> and I'm like, no, Liam, that's not true. He's like, I want to go back upstairs to grandma because I, she doesn't ask these kinds of questions, okay? But I'm like, no, you've got to explain what it means. I don't want to explain it. Well, we just read that he disposes. What does it mean? <gasps> oh. Now, this is, this is describing what? very much involved. If you're disposing, you're doing what? Say it again, the definition. A particular order or arrangement. That's, does everyone love that concept? That's very much intimately involved. What's next? Governs. Now immediately when we start getting this theological definition of providence, what does this seem to indicate? A God that's what? Intimately involved in every detail of his creation. Are you ready for the next? Are you ready for this? I'm going th- to throw this out a hundred times. If God is intimately involved in every detail of his creation, does this include, wait for it, salvation and condemnation? Some will say what? No. Many churches would say he's not intimately involved in that. They would say, what's, what, what's the determinant factor in salvation and condemnation, according to some churches? 
Who's, the, who's sovereign? <clears throat> Human beings are sovereign in salvation and condemnation, not God. Well, wait a minute. So God is intimately involved in every other detail, but he just leaves that one to us? You, you could try to make that argument, right? All right, what else does it go on to say? So let me read this for those listening online because we keep breaking it down. God, the good creator of all things, in his infinite power, wisdom, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creature and things from the greatest even to the least. Now, why is that important? Well, that means that covers every person, everything, everything. That's... That this really, now, this means that, now, let's make it very clear. This creates a lot of philosophical problems. Yes? Let me state it again. Theology tries to explain a world in which God is included. All of the theological explanations are never philosophically satisfying. If you think they're philosophically satisfying, you're probably on drugs, okay? Because there's nothing philosophically satisfying about about it, all right? I know some people get offended by that, but it's just the facts, all right? Everybody ready? All right. By his most wise and holy, next word, providence, to the end for the which they were created, according unto his infallible foreknowledge, and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. All right, there, that's a mouthful, is it not? All right, so let's go through this. All right. By his most wise and holy providence, now this is very, I want you to think about the next phrase, to the end for which they were created. Stop right there. What do you think that is saying? They were created for a purpose, and God is going to govern and work everything so that purpose is fulfilled. The purpose is determined by whom? God. That sounds great, right? Everybody loves that, right? Oh, look, look, I, I have a purpose. Oh, what is my purpose, right? And then everybody gets together in their little small groups, you know. Oh, what is my purpose in life is to be a singer. And my purpose in life is to be a dancer. And my purpose in life is to be a wife. Or what? And, and oh, that's great. And everybody loves it and it's all wonderful. It, right. Or you just, about anyone who's suffering. And you're like, well, what, what about their purpose? What, I mean... Have you ever been to St. Jude's? There's children right now in those hospitals who's suffering with horrible diseases. And their life is a never-ending cycle of treatments that are painful. And many of them will never even see the age of 20 or 30. So what do we want to do in those situations? Include or exclude? Exclude, exactly. Include, that right there. See, that when you read it in that light, that's not a very pleasant thought. Because this is God working everything for the purpose he created something. Now, it's great if you think, oh, you know, I'm going to figure out what my purpose is. Yeah, well, yeah it, it's all, that's the Disneyland of Christianity, and it needs to be burned to the ground. Not actual, I'm not calling for the burning down of actual Disneyland. I'm not calling for that. Figuratively speaking, there's a Disneyland of Christianity that doesn't want to address these very unpleasant topics. And they need to be burned down because it gives people a shelter to run to and pretend that they're really being theological and biblical when they have no desire to be theological or biblical. Because if they wanted to be theological and biblical, they would all be very upset very quickly because we're having to deal with very unpleasant situations. Right? Yeah, well, yeah, we, well, I mean, he knew, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's so many questions that comes into this. All right, so what does it say there? Let's read that again. He's going to move, he's, he's in charge by his most wise and providence to the end in which they were created. And then know this, 
He works this, he, he governs everything to bring everything to the end for which it was created. And how does he do this? According to what? Infallible foreknowledge. Now, why is that important? He knew what would happen and he knew it what? Perfectly. And he knew it beforehand. Now, this destroys which concept? God not knowing. Yeah, God not knowing. Now, are you, on one hand, you're like, that's awesome. God has infallible foreknowledge. On the other hand, you're like, wait a minute. He knew what was going to happen, yet he proceeded. And not only did he proceed, he governed, disposed, ordered everything in the way that it occurred. Yeah. But well, he, knew of, he knew of Hitler before there was ever a world. Yeah. Yeah. And he, yeah, he could have removed, he, he could have kept him from getting power. He could have let him live. Just don't let him go. Be, oh, wait, he's in government. And who ordains governments? Yeah, I don't like that. Do you like that? And what bothers me is these are the kind of conversations nobody ever wants to have in church. I, I don't know how people sit there in, in the pew and say all kinds of things about God and never bother to go, wait a minute, that would infer this. And nobody wants to go there. Right? What else does it go on to say? He has infallible foreknowledge, free and immutable counsel of his own will. What does that determine? Everything works according to whose will? God's will. Not your will. Whose will is free? Isn't it amazing how much discussion happens in churches about our free will? Now think about it. If my will is free and God's will is free, how does that work? Because either my will trumps God's will or God's will trumps my will. And if any will trumps the other will, then no, then you, you see where this gets. Whose will is free? God's. Who's, whose will is, what else does it say about his will? Immutable. What does that mean? Doesn't change. Yeah. Now, I know this raises questions because you have passages in the scripture which seems to imply that God changed, but really it's we, us who changed, not God, but we could get a whole discussion about that. All right, go, what else does it say? Very important. To the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. Simply put, God does all of that for what purpose? He works all things for His glory, not for yours. So if we include God in, if we include God in our worldview, then what do we have to see? God created it, God governs it, God controls it, God declares what it will be, and he does it for his glory and his honor. Does that make sense? Okay, now. All right, oh, we're not going to get very far. Okay. Um, uh, no, well, we can, uh, and I'm, I'm not going to look them up right now. All right, because right now I just want you to understand the concepts. We'll come back and do some scriptural work on all of this. Okay, I want you to get the concepts down. All right. Uh, go to paragraph two. Although in relation to the foreknowledge, and next word, and decree of God, the first cause of all things comes to pass immutably and infallibly, so that there is not anything that befalls any by chance or without his providence. Yet, by the same providence, he ordereth them to fall out according to the nature of second causes, either necessarily, freely, or contingently. Now, the second causes gets into a whole philosophical thing. But the bottom line is, 
This concept of God's providence is connected with what other concept? Decree. Now, we, I want to keep working on providence, but now find the chapter where it mentions God's decree. Find the chapter that mentions God's decrees. Chapter 3, yes. Now, let's do this. Everybody ready? Okay, what's the definition for reprobation? God's sovereign decision to pass over some for salvation. All right? Next, what's a simple definition for God's, what did we just study? Providence. God creates, governs, controls, upholds all things for his glory and his will. There's God's providence. Everybody got that? Now, it's connected to God's decrees. What are God's decrees? Or God's decree? Now, in theology, there's a, dis- there's a debate here. <clears throat> do, do we refer to God's decrees plural, or do we refer to it just one singular, singular decree? Right? We, can get in, we can get into a discussion about this in a minute. And then we're going to have, oh boy, then it's going to get all confusing. All right? <laughs> Because we need to get to Molinism. Oh, man. Molinism makes my brain melt. Okay, but we can't get to that right now. All right, here we go. Everybody ready? Now, please note, how how does it, what's the title of the chapter in the Westminster? Decree. Decree, not decrees. The London Baptist of God's decree. Just keep that in mind. All right. God. Paragraph one, hath decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably, all things whatsoever comes to pass, yet so as thereby is God neither the author of sin, nor hath fellowship with any therein, nor is violence offered to the will of the creature, nor yet is the liberty contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established, in which it appears uh, his wisdom in disposing all things and power and faithfulness in accomplishing his decree. Now, there's a lot there. I just want you to focus on the first part. What is God's decree? Just look at the very first part. You don't have to get on to the secondary causes because this is, man, that's mind-boggling just even trying to figure it out, but that's okay. Well, all right, let's do this first. Look up the word decree. Make sure we understand the word decree because if we're going to talk about God's decree, you have to be able to define what? Decree, right? So, and that, that's, that's pretty obvious. Okay, official order. An authoritative order. Now, and, and so in Providence, th- I want you to try to I want you to try to grasp this. Just immediately, just see if you can think this through. What's the difference between providence and decree? I know. I know. You're like it's the day after Christmas. I did. What, what kind of church is this? I know. I know. I know. Just tell me the. Tell me about baby Jesus. Okay. I know. I know. I know. But we don't do things like that here. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Providence. He's governing, upholding. His decree is simply the decree or the order, authoritative. You said of what it will be. He decrees it, and then providence is the governing, working of it to occur. Both are determined by what? God's will. And both are done for his glory. Now, why do they bring in the concept of secondary uh, causes in in both ideas? Because what, what, when you get into God's providence and God's decrees, what, philologically, what becomes a major danger here that you want to avoid? <clears throat> and they've mentioned it, I think, twice. God becoming the author of what? Sin. 
So when they say a secondary cause, <clears throat> what do they, how do they try to get around this? All right? If God decrees everything that's going to happen, if he is in providence, he controls it and orders it. We can't make God responsible for sin because God is holy and cannot be a part of sin. So secondary causes, this is, gets really bizarre, but let me try to explain how this works. All right, here's God. He, he decrees everything that's going to happen. He's going to work everything that's going to happen. All right, so he creates, let's go, he creates Satan, right? Now, when Satan is created, what is his, what is the moral standing of Satan when he is created? It's good. We'll say he's good. That's the best we can say, right? I don't think it would be fair to say he's morally neutral. I think it would be able to say he's good. Agreed? Because right? everything God created was? All right, there. that's the way we can, that's why I want to use that, that terminology, okay? But what does Satan have? No, he does not have a corrupted will when he's created. Okay, everything's good. He has a what kind of will? Free. Now, who gives him the free will? Does God know what he's going to do with the free will? I will even go so far. Has God decreed what he will do with that free will? But who exercises the free will? Satan. God knows what he's going to do. He decrees what he's going to do. But who gets blamed? So who's the secondary cause? Satan. Who's not the author of sin? Satan, in a sense, becomes the author of sin. Right? Not God. Okay, I'm sorry. How did, what, did, what did I say? Did I misspeak? Okay. Do I? Okay. All right. Who is not responsible for sin would be God. Who is? Satan. Right? Satan is, is therefore becomes the secondary cause. Who's the primary cause? God, because he decreed it, knowing what was going to happen. Right? He, got, he worked everything out. The secondary cause becomes Satan. Therefore, God does not become the author of sin. Now, take it a step further. Adam and Eve, when they are created, how are they created? Good, right? What do they possess? A free will. They possess a free will. Does God know what they're going to do? Does God decree what they're going to do? Does he, and his providence Govern how it's going to work because who, who does he not only, who does he allow to come right in? Satan. Who exercises their free will? Adam and Eve. Boom. So who's not the author of sin? God. Who is the secondary cause? Adam and Eve. Now, from that point forward, now this is, so everyone loves that discussion, right? Because who has a free will in all of that? Adam and Eve, Satan. So everybody loves that discussion, right? But what, here's what happens. The minute Adam and Eve sin, then the, everything becomes a problem, right? Because now every person who is born after Adam and Eve is now born with what? A sin nature, meaning there's no way the will can be free because the will is inside a person who has a sin nature. So you would have to have the sin nature not impacting the will, which then you would not be totally depraved. And so then that creates all kinds of problems. So you, so you can say the beginning of sin had a secondary cause, but at this point, you can say it's all us, but who ultimately decreed it? God. But God is still not the author of it. Right? Secondary causes. Do you like that explanation? Now, okay, let's say you don't like this, the explanation of secondary causes. Throw out secondary causes. What's your explanation then? Okay, okay, God, you're either God or no God, right? So the reason the, theology had to come in and try to provide these answers is like, well, well, we can't have God being the author of sin because the Bible clearly says he's not. And you have to try to figure this stuff out. So we have providence, we have decrees, yes? Okay, now, there, I know you're saying, but there's scriptures there. I know, there's so much, All right? Let's do this, okay? Now, here's what we're going to do. Oh, there's so much I want to. Oh, there's so much I want to get to. I want to go uh, much more into the discussion about decrees, but we're going to have to do this. All right, if I can find it. All right. Um, oh, there's so much here. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's there's much more here, but I want to get into a discussion. 
on this. All right, this is going to get, oh boy, this is going to get crazy. All right, you ready? All right. We're going to talk about the order of God's decrees. You ready for your brains to start melting? Okay. All right. And the order of God's decrees, according to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, you ready? According to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, is his eternal purpose, according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory, he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. So the order is his eternal purpose, his will, his own glory, he foreordained whatsoever comes to pass, which we've already discussed. Right? This is sometimes called the order of God's decrees. His eternal purpose, the counsel of his will, his own glory, he foreordains whatsoever comes to pass, if you want to break it down that way. All right. You, you don't have to get that perfect because we've already read it, but you, you have a basic idea. Now, you ready? Listening, thinking caps on. Here we go. In discussing the order of decrees, we are referring to the logical relationship of the various aspects of God's one eternal purpose regarding the creation, predestination, and salvation of man. The primary interest in the decrees of God usually relates to the understanding of divine predestination and election and its place in God's plan of redemption. All right. So in other words, this all goes back to what subjects? Predestination and election, which we've been talking about in Romans chapter 8. And you cannot talk about election without talking about what? reprobation. And you can't talk about reprobation without talking about God's providence or decrees. You see why we're talking about all of these things? Right? All right. A discussion of the logical relation of divine decrees is valuable because it helps clarify and distinguish various theological positions regarding God's plan of redemption. It is especially helpful in understanding the difference between Calvinism, Arminianism, and Pelagianism. All right. It should be emphasized that the decrees of God are understood as one single eternal intention, not an order of succession in his plan, either in time or deliberation. In other words, he had one decree that involves what? Everything. All right, are you ready to write down a whole bunch of terms? All right, are you ready? I'm going to go, okay. The first one is an easy one to write down, all right? Or I'm going to give you two. These are easy. First, write down the word Pelagian. Write down the word Pelagian. And if we write down the word Pelagian, what do we, uh, what's the next word we have to logically write down? No, come on, come on. Semi-Pelagian, very good. Pelagian, semi-Pelagian. So far, so good. All right, you got those? All right, now the next phrase I want you to write down, I'm going to put these in the order. I'm, I'm, I was going to change the order. The next one, what would be the next one that you would write down? If you got Pelagian and semi-Pelagian, come on. What's going to be Next. Arminian, very good. Arminian. All right, now here's going to come a new term. Now, if you've, if you've learned anything in this church, if you pay attention to what I do, I give a teaching on something, right? We move away from said subject. We circle back to said subject, and then what do I do? I include something that I did not include the first time. So that each time we cover it, we do what? We build. 
Now, I know you never remember because you're probably like, well, no, I think you, I don't know, because I understand you can't remember everything we talk about. But just so that you know, there is a method to what I try to do. I try to build and build and build and build and build and build and build. That's where whenever we talk about the same subject, it's not just repeating the same things. Does that make sense? And I know you're like, oh, I'm so glad because I would get bored if I heard, oh, I don't remember anything you said last week, but, but I just think that you remember everything that I say. All right, are you ready? All right, here we go. I'm going to spell this one out. I don't even, the, I've listened to all kinds of different ways to pronounce this, and I don't know if anyone agrees on how to, okay? But uh, here we go. I, I, I was just going to play the audio for you, but I, I won't. We'll just, we'll just spell it out. Everybody ready? Here we go. A-M-Y-R-A-L-D-I-A-N. A-M-Y-R-A-L-D-I-A-N. Emeraldian. Emeraldian. All right? And it's... And, and, A-M-Y-R-A-L-D-I-A-N. Yeah. Emeraldian. And this is basically... You can also know the term... I'll spell the other term out because you, this is where it really comes into the Senate of Dort. All right. A-M-Y-R-A-L-D-I-S-M. Armaldism. A-M-Y-R-A-L-D-I-S-M. Armaldian or Armaldism. You need to know this term. How many are you familiar with this term? Okay, do you want to, Armelodian or Armelodianism, do you want to know basically what it is? You have Calvinism, you have Arminianism, this was to try to be something in the middle. Armelodian or Armelodianism, all right? Everybody got that? All right, another important term, all right? I got to spell this one out too. I N. F-R-A-L-A-P-S-A-R-I-A-N. Infralapsarian, yes. Infralapsarian. We have talked about infralapsarianism before, right? I-N-F-R-A-L-A-P-S-A-R-I-A-N. Infralapsarian. You can go to churches and probably hear discussions about infralapsarianism all the time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Okay. And if we're going to do infralapsarianism, we have to do another one, right? What's next? If we're going to do infra, supralapsarian. Supra, S-U-P-R-A-L-A-P-S-A-R-I-A-N. Right now, we, we're going to see what we can cover here. All right. Anybody need to repeat any of those? Yes. No. Now, thinking caps on. Everybody ready? You see all of those words. Even trying to figure out how to say some of those words. Even trying to spell some of those words. It looks what. Hard, confusing, but there's, there's another word I want you to say. What do you think? You can, you can say it. You can say it. Who cares? It's irrelevant. Right, come on. You, I know people are saying that, right? Okay? You're, I know what you're saying. It, it, like Sometimes when you're sitting in a college classroom and the professor goes on to something, you're like, who cares? This has nothing to do with my life. But in this particular case, you're wrong! <laughs> All right? Because this has everything to do with trying to explain what? Remember what I told you to do in the first hour? That piece of paper? Include God? 
exclude God. Remember, we didn't go with atheism, theism. Why? Because whenever we're dealing with all of these issues of God's providence and God's decree, there's lots of questions that arises from it, especially as it relates to what? Salvation and a many a host of other issues. So guess what's happened throughout church history? People have come along to try to explain all of this. You just got a list of groups that's come along trying to explain a lot of these subjects. You say, well, I don't need to know them. You don't have to know them, but you've been influenced by them. What do I always say? Ignorance of church history does not negate its influence. You know people right now. You can go to... You can, go in, you can talk to any of your friends who go to church and start talking about God's providence, God's decrees, and all the issues we've come up with. And guess what? They're going to start telling you whether they agree or disagree, and they're going to give you their explanation. And guess what? Those explanations are going to fall into one of these camps, and they may not even have a clue that these camps exist. And they'll say, no, I just got it from the Bible. You've been taught a system of theology. It's just your pastor didn't bother to tell you that he was teaching you a system of theology. He pretended he was teaching you the Bible. When he was really, he was borrowing from a systematic theology that's in his office that he put in his notes to make it look like he came up with it when he just borrowed from whichever systematic theology he thinks is the right one, which is just a game that's played in churches that ticks me off. And I don't play that game. I just bring the systematic theology right here and go, this is the one we're going to look, lo- look at. And then what do I do? Critique it, challenge it, question it, or offer my own hypothesis and thesis. So then you're not, you're not misled into thinking that you're just being, no, you, you need to know, no, this is a system of theology. Now what do we need to do? Question it. Yes? So that, that's, I, get, I don't like the way pastors do that, but it just it drives me crazy. They're like, today we're going to talk about this doctrine. And they just preach it like it's all theirs. I'm like, you just took that from page whatever of Hodge's systematic theology. Just tell everyone where you got it. And guess what? Whatever systematic theology you got it from, we are not bound to follow it, are we? I remember I've tried to get this church to move from learning theology to doing what? Doing theology, where we question and we come up. So let's just briefly mention the Pelagian view, all right? Because I can't give you, I want to get through all of them, but obviously, you know, you'd be here till next Sunday, all right? Here we go. Pelagian view. Now, I know Pelagians are about to get very upset with what I'm going to say, all right? Are you ready? And these are just not, these, obviously, uh, these are not my words, but I'm going to, I'm adding so many of my words. There's a lot going on here, but here we go. The Pelagian view, how can I say this? I want to be fair here. The Pelagian view could be accused of being a naturalistic view of salvation as opposed to a supernaturalistic view. The Pelagian is a more of a naturalistic view as opposed to a supernaturalistic view. What do you think the difference is between a naturalistic and a supernaturalistic view of salvation? What do you think that means? Either salvation is determined by man, natural, just our own natural choice or will, or if it's supernatural, who's involved in it? God. And you see how now this is going to play into providence? Decrees and all of those things. Election, predestination, foreknowledge. Everybody got that? All right. The primary issue between the naturalist and the supernaturalist may be summed up into one question. Are you ready? Here is the question. Does man save himself or does God save him? Does man save himself or does God save him? In its purity, Pelagianism affirms that all the power exerted in saving man is native to man himself. It is basically a salvation by works mentally that continues to show up in various forms today. So pure Pelagianism says what? It's man. And that the power exerted in saving man is native to whom? Man. That's pure pure Pelagianism. 
pure Pelagianism. Now let me make it very clear. Does any view stay pure in church history? No. What happens? It's taken and it's modified and it's manipulated. But pure Pelagianism says that if, if there's anyone, if, if, Emma gets, if, if Emma's saved, who saved Emma? Emma did. Now, now many places like, no, 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 no. But Jesus died. He may have done all of that stuff, but did it save her? No. So then who saved her? She did. I mean, not really. Yeah, yeah, not really. Right. I mean, if you saved yourself, well, you're probably going to end up in hell, okay? Because, yeah, you can't save yourself. But you get the idea. Pelagianism says she saved. It's purely naturalistic. Right? She was able to do it. She was able to choose. She was able to believe. She was able to repent. She was able to choose. I get into my, I've got friends in Nebraska who are not, you know, quote-unquote Calvinistic, and I'll get into this discussion all the time about repentance. I'm like, well, who, why did you repent? And, and, and they don't want to say, well, because I just knew to repent. I'm like, well, so then it was your work? I'm like, I don't believe it was my work. I believe I re- repented because God granted me repentance. I believed I believed because God granted me faith. That's completely different. If you say she repented because she did the repenting and she did the believing, then who did the saving? She did. God just made it possible. That, that, that's Pelagianism. That's a naturalistic view. Would everyone under, does everyone understand that? Pelagianism denies that human nature has been corrupted by sin and hence maintains that every infant comes into the world in the same condition as Adam. You see why I discussed what Adam... Remember when we talked about secondary causes? What did I say about Adam? Free will and he was what? Good. Every baby, according to Pelagianism, comes into the world in the same condition. Basically good, or at least morally neutral, and then what? Free. That's Pelagianism. That's Pelagianism. Now what's weird is you'll have your Christian friends who'll say, I'm, I deny Pelagianism. Everyone's totally depraved. However, you save yourself by your own choice. I'm like, wait a minute, that's not totally depraved. Because a totally depraved will would never choose whom? God. Exactly. Which creates all the problem. According to Pelagianism, man thus has a free will and the ability to justify himself before God. St. Augustine was successful in having Pelagianism condemned by the church at what council? Oh, come on. If y'all get this wrong, I'm, I'm going. I'm going to lay on the floor and cry like a little baby, okay? And y'all, no, don't just get it wrong so you want to watch that happen, okay? Oh, no, 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 no. Much. It's going to be a, about 100 years after that. Council of Ephesus? Four? Four? Four hundred what? Okay. The Pope back there better know. The Pope better know. She's supposed to have it in the, the official, the official whatever, we need a Latin term to, to, to give your book, okay? Council of Ephesus. What year? Yeah, look, do Google. Ask Siri. I want, does it work? Council of Ephesus. Here's some information. 431. <laughs> there you go. Look, man, theology is easy in 2021. Siri is a theologian, okay? Right? Siri is a better theologian than most pastors, okay? Right? Don't, don't be afraid to use the resources you have, all right? This, my view of math was, I don't care if you have to count on your hands, toes, use whatever means. As long as I get the right answer, who cares how I got it, all right? That's how I view, view math. Theology, in some ways, it's the same way. Use whatever you need to get the right answer. So when was it condemned? Where at? Council of Ephesus, Council of Ephesus, all right, 431. What year are we in? 
2021. How long is it between 431 and 2020, 2021? Come on, y'all are, y'all are supposedly the math experts. Don't look to me. I can't count the two. Right? About almost 1,600 years. Now, guess what? Who won? Pelagius won. That's depressing. Okay, although condemned, he won. And so what do we, what do we witness today? The Pelagian captivity of the American church. He won. Now, your friends would say they're not Pelagians. They would say they don't know, even know who he is. But just because they don't know, they've been... So what, typically, what do we see today? We don't see full-blown Pelagians. What do we see? Semi-Pelagian, which we'll, we have to stop and get into. All right, any questions about any of that? Any questions about any of that? All right? Yeah, everybody got that figured out? I think, I mean, in fact, I... I think, uh, let me see if I have it here, just to throw this out there. Yeah, I think I have this. Let me see if this works. Just for fun. Emeraldianism. Yeah, Emeraldianism. Yeah, how you say that. Emeraldianism. Yeah, yeah. I, I, when I hear the pronunciation, it, it confuses me more. But yeah, that's the, that's the one well, I wanted to get to, but we can't get to right now. All right. Any questions on any of this? That's a lot of stuff for two hours. All right? More than most people will ever hear in church, ever. Okay? But I want to make sure we understand this. Did we do this so we could have a systematic theology class? No. We did this because if you believe that God is involved in creation, it's your responsibility to try to answer some questions about, well, what does that mean? How does that work? What did God do? How do I understand providence? How do I understand decrees? What does this mean in regards to salvation? So for the Pelagian, what was their answer, at least when it comes to salvation? Excluded God. Excluded God. And they excluded God to protect what? Free will. Which indicates that if I protect free will in regards to anything happening in the world, then my worldview has done what? Excluded God. If you, if you protect free will, you've excluded God from your worldview. Therefore, you're a practical atheist. While you claim to be a Christian. There we go. All right, we'll stop right there. Lord God, we come before you this afternoon. We thank you so very much for having a church where we could have these kinds of conversations and discussions. This probably won't happen in most. In many churches, it would create controversy. I am grateful that we are able to do this. I pray that we have much to talk and discuss about this week. I hope people will give this serious thought. And as we go through each position, I pray that we seek to understand it And then as we go back and try to look up scriptures to confirm some of these ideas, I hope this will help us be able to then deal with the subject of reprobation and handle it in a godly and scriptural way. And we ask this in Jesus' name. You guys, people said.